Hey, it's Scott Orn of Cruise Consulting, and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. It saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in to Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Olm. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is John Houston of Houston Advisors. Welcome, John. Thank you, Scott. Good to see you. Yes, we are old, old friends. Uh, emphasis on the old. It's been yeah. 22 years oh, since we've known each other. Both of our hairlines have seen, have seen those last 20 years, my friend. Well, my hairline is basically the same as it was 20 years ago when after my first year of working Whoa. with you. So John and I, well, I'm going to ask John to introduce himself in a second, but John and I worked together in investment banking in 1999 at Hamburg and Quist. Wow. He's an incredible guy, super smart, taught me a ton. And John went on to a really amazing career in sales ops. And so the purpose of this podcast is to really talk about sales ops, especially in the context of like M&A, because we do a lot of M&A or late stage fundings at Cruise. And sales ops is something that the investors really focus on or the M&A folks. And so John, John's literally the best person I know at this in the world. And so I wanted to have him on the podcast. That's very kind of you. And I think the world of you and Vanessa, and as you said, we've been, we've known each other for, I cannot believe it's been 22 years. <laughs> or, let's keep going. Let's keep, let's move on. But man, it's been a long keep time. Going. Well, maybe so. you can introduce yourself and, uh, and tell everyone how you got to Houston Advisors and in your journey. Yeah, will do. Um, and thanks again for having me here. It's, it's, uh, it's great. So, you know, my area of expertise, as you said, is sales operations. And, uh, you know, I consider myself to be an expert in that field. And I say that with a decent amount of humility and an appreciation that one can't be an expert in everything under, you know, the broad purview of sales ops. And I'll talk in a bit about, you know, later what that is and what sales and revenue operations are and what my core competencies are in there. Um, but very, very generally, you know, I've built teams in a variety of B2B and B2C contexts. Um, I've been through the IPO process twice in the last 10 years or so um, and have a lot of lessons learned and, and battle scars. And I'll talk about some of that here. So like, you know, point being is that I know what good looks like in sales ops and how to achieve it. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to instill in my clients today. So, you know, back to your question um, in like the career and retracing it. Um, I'm, as you mentioned already, I'm an analyst at heart. You know, we grew up in investment banking professionally. And I think it says something that for better or worse, both you and I, you know, Scott started our career in investment banking and, um, even though I've been on the operating side of things for many years, that analyst experience is still a big piece of who I am and how I look at things. Yeah. And it ties into your point around the diligence stuff. Prior to business school, very briefly, you know, I worked for a number of years in, in investment banking and private equity. And that 
financial rigor, you know, that data oriented mindset that comes from those experiences is super critical. Once you get those classes and you start seeing the world through data centric approach and through all the analysis, you can't, you kind of never go back. You That's know? right. That's right. But you transitioned from VC, from investment banking and VC into like these awesome operating roles, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's very kind of you. And that's like, I get that question, like, why not finance? Um, and, and like the Venn diagrams between what I do in a quote unquote finance operating role, they overlap a lot. But by nature, I have drifted more towards working with, you know, chief revenue officers and working on things like sales strategy and complex go to market structures. And that just, it's, it's my jam, you know, and it's like, yeah. it's just different from a finance operating role. But, you know, breaking my, the career down, most of the last 15 years I've spent in sales office leadership roles. I started my operating career at Oracle after grad school. And in retrospect, that was a wonderful place to work. I worked for a absolutely incredible leader there. I'm not sure if I can name drop, but um, yeah. Raleigh Oaks was, is her name. And she set a super high bar for me on what it means to be a sales leader, you know, like rigor around sales methodology and process and data aptitude and just like, you know, humanity and, and good EQ. All of that stuff I picked up from her as a, as a first really effective leader. And it was a good place to kind of learn the chops and the fundamentals from a, from a very well-established company. And from there, I've had a handful of sales ops leadership roles, mostly in SaaS. Uh, most recently, I was at Medallia, the customer experience software company where I led sales and services ops leading up to their IPO in July of 2019. So in summary, you know, I've seen a lot of different things in this context. I've seen the direct B2B side, which is like Medallia. I've seen the indirect B2B side, which is like Oracle. And I've even seen like the B2C high velocity side, which is Sunrun, which is, you know, as some folks may know, the largest residential solar company now. I was going to bring that up because that, that was like a really complex kind of sales yeah. channel and implementation yeah. channel too. So you've done like pure software, you've done like solar, and then you went back to software. Medallia was a little bit different probably than Oracle, but you've kind of seen everything. Yeah. And, and I tend to you know follow people and without getting into specific names and folks, it's like, you know, it, it tends to be my jam is more about following either leadership or folks or sales leader that I have liked and worked with in the past. And that's why you see some of that path. Um, but, you know, without going deep into Sunrun, that is an incredibly complicated business. It's a construction company and a utility and a bank and a consumer product company all rolled into one. So conversation for another time. But uh, it was an amazing experience there. So today I'm running my own consulting business. I'm an army of one. I work primarily with with and through private equity and growth stage venture investors and their portfolio companies. And I have basically two products is the best way to think about it. I have a go-to-market diagnostic. That's sort of the tip of the spear of what I do. So I've created a proprietary diagnostic model that looks across the funnel, like from marketing and sales and customer success. And in a really scalable, time-efficient way, allows me to rapidly triage what's going well, what's not going well, you know, risks and opportunities. And I gather the inputs from the management team on a, on a pretty straightforward questionnaire. It's either, you know, Google Sheet or Excel, whatever they work with. And then I use like off the deck, off the shelf decks, like, you know, investment memos or board decks or whatever. And I can piece together pretty quickly from those two things, what's going on without having to spend, you know, tons of management time, you know, yeah. in the data room or whatever. So, so that's the diagnostic product. The, the use case for that is both, I'd say it's equally kind of a pre-investment due diligence thing. But it's also at a, it has nothing to do with an investment. It's like a point of transition. There could be a new CEO started, you know, and he or she wants fresh oh. eyes on the business or a new CRO starting. That makes so much sense though. Because I hadn't thought of that because I always think of you in terms of M&A or, or VC investment, but the, 
the fresh eyes from a CEO because the last thing a CEO wants to do is come in and then miss their first quarter or miss their or miss two quarters in a row. Like the sales organization, sales ops need to be if something's broken, you really got to fix that quickly because otherwise the lag, the lagging performance right. of not fixing it is is horrible. That's right. Yeah, it's spot on. And that gets into, you know, without cutting to the chase, it's like too much. It's like the having sales ops can be transformative when done well. And there's a lot of lessons learned and pitfalls to avoid, but it's like what you just described, which is a lot, what a lot of good executives and sales leaders understand is that more than just like, you know, um, a paper pusher or a number cruncher or whatever, sales ops is a partner to building out process and infrastructure to make things work better. Yep. Um, so I'll pause there. And that's, that's really the value proposition of what I do. So the first product, as I said, go to market diagnostic. And then the second is really more project specific type things. It could be, you know, redesigning a comp structure, which is one thing I'm working on right now. It could be providing interim leadership during periods of transition. You know, CRO, as we all know, you know, heads of sales can come and go quickly. So their ops people can often come and go quickly. So there could be use cases to be dropped in, you know, with a, an operating partner at a, at a PE firm to, to, to yeah. help. Kind like of a PE firm is going to buy, buy a company or put a big amount of money in a company and they want to stabilize that position for six months. And so they bring you in. That's to, right. To, That's right. To, yeah. Or it could be Makes just build, building and hiring and, build, and building yeah, up a team. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, you know, broadly defined, that's kind of the, the path that I've taken and, and what I'm doing today. What's the, um, I mean, you've got to have like a couple private equity funds that are just like, the, you're the, go, you're like the speed dial call on this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm just kind of interested. Let's, we'll talk about the functions yeah. and all the stuff, you, but like, how does your business work? Is it just like the, you work with a, a trusted, a, a people partner one time and then all of a sudden they're like they've seen the light a little bit like this happens to us where like a vc firm sends over one one portfolio company to us we clean them up we fix everything and they're now getting good board information you know yeah. the board at the board <laughs> meeting. Yeah. and they're like wait a second like holy and then like the floodgates you kind of wish crazy. you could turn it off <laughs> yeah yeah oh, yeah uh, no you're you're spot on and i i don't want to be so presumptuous as to say i you know i i I, I'm looking, I'm always looking for new clients, but it is exactly as you described. You know, this is a trust-based world. It's small, relatively, let's call it a handful or so of funds and their portfolio companies that I have worked with. And most of it because, you know, part of it comes from, I have a background in, in that space and I worked in private equity. And like, so again, it's like, you know, having been running, yeah, running diligence processes and you've done this yourself too. So you understand, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you could speak that language, but it, it is to your point, It's it tends to be a, a relatively small number of, of funds that I work with. And That's great though. I mean, I've found for us, like having those relationships, it just, it kind of makes your life a lot easier too. Cause you know, they're going to call you and it just, it's it, not, no one's taking anything for granted. Like you got to deliver and they've got to be good to work with too. They've got to be yeah. a, a good partner and, and have Spot the right on. kind of opportunity. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, and, and it's exactly as you said, that's the name in the Rolodex. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we did a little pre conversation here before mm -hmm. we turned the recording on. And you kind of broke things up into a couple of different buckets. Do you want to go through like backend and strategy and how you kind of, how you deliver your service and what you look for? Yeah, I, I think that's great. I, I you know, I, I think maybe starting with a little like definitional, like what is sales and revenue ops may, may be kind of helpful. And as I described it to you, Scott, earlier on, it's like the simplest way to think about it is like, there's two things involved. There's the highly operational backend 
process and data oriented aspect. And then there's the quote unquote strategy oriented aspect. That's like the helping people um, understand and figure out the right channels to sell through. It's like looking at conversion rates and like, you know, economies of scale and all that kind of stuff, like TAM type stuff that like, and those two play together in this function. So you have the very tactical combined with the very strategic. And that's one of the things I like about it. But, you know, primarily it's like, you know, when done really well, as I mentioned, sales ops can be transformative because the value proposition is like a finger to the pulse on the funnel. It's like providing visibility from lead gen to post-sale interactions. It's like aligning people, breaking down silos that can exist between marketing and sales and customer success, and it's aligning like process. And when it doesn't work, it's the opposite of transformative. And all of those things I just mentioned, you know, it's the proverbial WD-40 in the gears doesn't happen and it causes more breakdowns. Yeah, and I've yeah. seen both good and bad here, and I've been responsible for both good and bad here. Yeah. And when it breaks, it's hard to, it's like, you got to tear out the engine. You got to, it's like, it's not easy just to fix, you know, it's like, yeah. and it, again, there's that huge lag where it's like, you're living with the ramifications of that breaking for a really long time. That's right. So That's I mean, right. the cool thing about where you are in the kind of comp, like company value chain is like, it's a super important role and super important function. If, if it's not working, the salespeople are less productive. The executive team doesn't have visibility. Maybe the engineer, like there's so many ramifications for not doing this well. That's right. And, and, you know, it's like also context matters a lot. And it's like not every company can or should invest a lot of money in a robust sales ops function. So, yeah. you know, some of my clients, they can basically rent me for project specific stuff. A, you know, 10 million rev SaaS company may not need a sales ops leader team, but they do often need some point solutions and best practices. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that's where it's like I can kind of play in and try to give people pretty much impartial advice on, I think what works best and what doesn't. Nice. So let's go through those options. So yeah. you want to start with backend setup or what, what, what do you want yeah. to cover? So first? let me, let me just describe a little bit about kind of what I said, kind of the highest level, what it is. So, you know, the easiest way to describe sales ops is it's kind of the COO or the chief operating officer for a go-to-market team. So that's everything from running the back end of the go-to-market and then occasionally stepping into more maybe growth and strategy oriented stuff. So sometimes, you know, you see things like, SDR teams, you know, uh, outbound dialing teams that can fall under sales ops. You can see things like sales enablement falling under sales ops. And I've had that within my teams before, but it kind of depends on the context around the business. But effectively, what you almost always see are some kind of what I'll call centers of excellence. And you see a center of excellence around systems and tools. You know, it's like your CRM, your lead gen tools, stuff like that. You usually touch that. So that's so sales ops is responsible for administering those and honing them to make sure they work well. And then the second thing that comes, you know, after the systems is the data, what you do with the data and how you inform the business mm -hmm. around what's working and what's not. So analytics, yeah. and that's common yeah. in almost every ops function and team. And then it's like third in, is business planning. It's the sales finance oriented stuff around, you know, how do we build out a scalable engine, you know, hiring the right reps to, to find and how many of them to put into market. It's managing your territories and stuff like that. Those three things I mentioned, the tools, you know, the process, analytics, and the business planning are really the foundation of what yeah. sales ops is built on. Then there's the other stuff. That's like maybe deal desk. If you're a more mature company, like a deal desk function is like kind of like helping the, the sales rep structure the deals and make sure they meet the company requirements and stuff like that. You have sales enablement, as I mentioned before. So there could be a lot of things that fall under it, but those first three things are really you know, what it's about. 
and then yeah. I'll, I'll stop quickly, but like revenue operations is really just the join of sales ops, marketing ops, and customer success ops. So getting those three things together ah. into one team is is kind of, I wouldn't say like the new thing, but it's like having led one of those RevOps teams, it's there's a lot of power when it's done when it's done well. There's a lot of power in being able to sit across the funnel and speak yeah. the same language from a definitional standpoint, because you think about the systems and the data and the process, those same three things apply to marketing, the sales and customer success. Yeah. Control. Yeah. yeah. I love that's a really great way of laying that out because customer success and marketing can make the sales organization so much more effective and, and vice versa. When people come in with the right expectations from the sales organization, they're going to have a better chance of sticking as a client. Yeah. And it's also feeds your marketing funnel. So that I, I've never actually, cause, cause I've only worked at like smaller companies besides H&Q mm -hmm. and I never touched any of this stuff. So like, this is really interesting to me that, those three kind of stakeholders are talking and if they work in concert, the organization is so much better for it. That's really cool. Yeah, and without getting too nerdy on this, just for one second, I think it's worth talking about the, you know, we're talking more, more at mid and later stage companies that have these yeah. kind of DevOps yeah. teams, but still what I've seen and learned is that marketing without being pigeonholing folks, marketing tends to get often or even customer success, the short shrift, they get the short end of the stick compared to their sales colleagues and yeah. being able to yeah. put them on equal footing because you know, companies that are spending millions, if not tens of million dollars on lead gen should be having that same rigor as a sales ops team within their marketing organization. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't, but being able to acknowledge that those three different functions are somewhat equal in their importance and then you know, resourcing them with an ops team equally is actually a pretty important thing to be doing. I about. totally agree. One of my good friends was is a VP of sales at startups and one company he was at was like, they were just, he was doing really great, but they were leaking customers like crazy mm -hmm. on the back end. And so he was constantly frustrated with customer success. And you're right. Like, I think a lot of organizations, the sales team is like the, the golden, the golden childs because yeah. they bring in revenue and things like that. But like his, the, here was a VP of sales fighting with the CEO to invest more in customer success. So the company yeah. could be successful. It's like I try to go to so many tangents here, but like, you know, the, the time that I have personally spent on optimizing a compensation plan, and this is really important. Comp plans yeah. are really important, but yeah. just as an example, optimizing a compensation plan or a little spiff to be paid versus like figuring out what churn and retention are, which are super complicated, important topics that often don't get the thought process that they should. And the ROI on those things can oh, be drastically different. I know. It's like, it, it does call for a little bit more consideration on what priorities are. So yeah, yeah. I love it. Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting. And before we get back to the podcast, quick shout out to ChartHop. ChartHop is one of my favorite new SaaS tools on the market. And basically what ChartHop does is it puts your org chart in the cloud. And I always like to say like, it brings transparency to your organization. And so you know, everyone in your organization can see who they report to. They can see the full org chart of the company and how their group relates to, to other groups. It also has a lot of information on the individuals of the company. And so you can click on the chart out profile and just get like where people live, their experience, you know, Slack handles, all this kind of stuff. And it's just a really great tool. The other thing is chart has started doing some cool stuff around compensation and budgeting planning. And so you can actually start seeing like what 
the cost structure of the company look like during certain kind of scenarios. So I'm loving ChartHop. Check it out, ChartHop.com. We use it at Cruise, really like it, and I can't recommend it enough. All right, back to the podcast. So do you want to go through like on the systems and setup stuff, are there preferred tools you like? Are there preferred processes? Like how do you- how- I'm going to dodge that one entirely and not talk about, if you don't mind. I mean, so- No, not, not at tools, all. You know, Salesforce is clearly the dominant tool. Um, yeah. I have clients that are on things other than Salesforce, but what I thought maybe I could do a bit was just to like talk through some of the like lessons learned and the things that I Absolutely. see that I try to kind of like apply into my clients. And when I- join an engagement or I take on an engagement where there's an aspect around building or scaling the sales ops team. I always come back to people with like this super, and this sounds obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway, defining what the mission is really carefully and understanding before you throw a body at something, what the three to five things at the most that you want this person or team to be doing is, is a really provocative thing because you have to talk to your CFO. You have to talk to your head of marketing. You have to talk to your sales leaders and narrow it down to like, what is really on fire or what is the biggest opportunity to go after? And yeah. more often than not, it's like, you know, you start asking the question of like, okay, is anyone doing this thing today? And often the answer is, well, there's like, you know, five or six people that are kind of doing a little piece of territory oh, build and management. And but no one owns it, right? But nobody owns it. So, you know, just getting yeah. really, really crisp on what the priorities are and collaborating. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, building up those centers of excellence I was talking about. And I really strongly think that those are, you know, in some form around the systems, the analytics, and then the business planning acumen to yeah. build a foundation that's scalable. And then finally, it's like ROI. We've talked about this before. Like people, when you're in a growth stage, particularly, and I've been guilty of this myself, hiring, throwing humans at problems. And I have a bias against that now. And it's like teams, ops teams particularly, they can build up fast and they can be, I don't want to say unnecessarily build up, but it can be, it's hard to stop that snowball. So like being very thoughtful about starting small, staying small, every person has a mission and a clear ROI, and then stepping back and saying like, okay, is this team doing what we wanted it to be doing? And without, again, this isn't rocket science, but it's like having some form of scorecard some sort of CSAT, like talking to the five, six people that your team, that this ops team interacts with and getting it's like the net promoter score positive or negative. And like, and then just seeing if your sales KPIs are moving in the right direction because, you know, an ops team isn't responsible for per se for growth, but an ops team should be shortening the time from, you know, from opportunity generation to close, to close one Yeah, in theory. Yeah. It should be driving yeah. faster cycles and seeing if that stuff works from a very tactical standpoint, you know, forecasting. Again, this is a, a little bit of a nerdy later, not not necessarily late stage company thing, but I, you know, the lessons learned on having clear forecasting definitions and a clear forecasting framework and, and the, the power that can come from that from an information standpoint, both for like the business and for the actual reps and the sales leaders is super important. And, you know, very hard. like you're talking my language, like. I can, and, and I've done it. You're probably like this too. I've done it so much that I can, I can look, I can probably, you talked about your diagnostic tool. Like I can look at forecasts in 20 minutes and it tells me so much about the company yeah. and tells me where the good stuff is, where the problems are. And it, I tend to look at it in terms of like a financing structure and how, how this is going to overlay with like how they're raising money and things like that. But on the operation side or the sales team side, it, I think it's great that you're actually making that information transparent to the sales team, to the ops team, because they actually know what's expected of them. They know how the formula, how the formula of the business works. 
and they also know if they're not doing a good job, you know, it's, and they know if they're doing a great job, you know, spot on Scott. So I'm like, without getting again, too nerdy here, it's like most companies use some form of like, Oh, we have a commit deal or like an upside deal or like, you know, whatever the thing is in the more often than not. And I, again, I've been guilty of this too. You ask someone, okay, well, what does a commit deal actually mean at your company? You can't get a crisp answer. And in, in, in theory, it should be, or actually in practice, it should be, well, it's a deal in this stage or later in CRM. It has a likely close date of like ideally in the quarter or in the month, you know, something like yeah. that. And it has some form of milestone associated with it. It's like, yeah, we've gotten to, you know, we've gotten an executive sponsor has been identified, a budget's been identified and the contract's been sent out. Oh, cool. Clearly a commit deal. And sorry, I'm a little bit off, you know, into the weeds on this. No, no, that's great. This is real world stuff. Stuff like that is, is super helpful. Yeah. And it also gives the executive team of the company a lot more confidence. They actually know where things are tracking and they know how things are really shaping up because the venture capitalists are asking them that question or the public markets are asking them that question all the time too. That's right. So one of your lessons learned, it sounds like, is like having the right systems in place and having visibility for everybody actually leads to like a more productive team, basically. That's right. That's right. And, and if, you know, one more and then I'll, I'll close out again, this is more of on the touchy feely side, but like when you're hiring for ops, you know, figuring out the balance between EQ and IQ is really more important than it would appear on the surface. And like, yeah. you know, simply put, hiring for emotional intelligence is more important with ops teams than it would kind of appear. And, you know, I think there tends to be a mindset that ops folks need to be extremely analytical and process driven and organized, which is all true. But it's also easy to over-index on those things and forget about the soft skills and the human element that is needed, particularly when working with a sales organization to be successful. And, you know, if I, I had a dollar for every time I personally, you know, annoyed a sales rep or like, you know, just because you don't speak that same language, I'd be a very, very wealthy man. But it's important learnings in that, like, you know, you got to have to be really you have to be really good at you know, understanding the back end of things and coming up with good decisions quickly. But you also have to be good about talking to people, you know, and not hiding behind headphones and a screen and understanding what the challenges in the field are and like what's yeah. making that sale so hard or what's causing that fear of not understanding how their commission are paid or whatever it is. Just really getting into the other people's shoes is super important. There. I totally agree. And especially I think a lot of salespeople, they tend to be over-indexed on like financial uh, performance drives their compensation. So like everyone wants to hire salespeople who bring in deals yeah. and pay for themselves and and are accretive. Yeah. But I don't think they, they get as much like love or maybe problem solving or assistance when things aren't going. Like we talked about like, that's hey, right. why is this deal taking longer? Things like that. Well, there's right. another person that's interjected themselves in the process, but like, maybe their executive, that executive team doesn't care as much, but that's something that if the ops, sales ops team sees happening over and over again across sales reps, you can actually put a remedy or put a process in place to help speed that up. And then the salespeople are happy with you and they're closing more deals. So everyone's happy. 100% right. It's like our job, our primary job in life at sales ops is to take things off the sales reps plate. It's to take yeah. off the tiring, burdensome, opsy admin stuff that they shouldn't be doing and either systematize it with software or automate it or, you know, maybe do some of it or not do it at all. <laughs> or like, just yeah. be like, no one should be doing this, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and then make a good case for that. The, the no one should be doing it, meaning like you went off the rails, Mrs. Salesperson or Mr. Salesperson, and you're chasing something that's not core to how we or, do things. Or, or we're doing something as a company that was maybe made sense two years ago, but doesn't make sense today at all, yeah. given the business has changed. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Uh, so those, those are the three, but I want to circle back to one of your, the, the first rule we kind of, 
went over quickly, which is building a team. Cause you talked yeah. about like, you know, that's something that sales ops can do. Like how many reps do we have? How many, how do we manage our territories? How do we manage like conflict? Like maybe talk just a little bit more about the things you look for, or things you think about when you're building a team for a sales organization. Yeah, I think that, that, and that's where the, not being self-serving here, the diagnostic comes in handy. And I would recommend, mm. frankly, any ops hire or leader, not necessarily hire me, but like do their own diagnostic to figure out what's working well and what's not working well. Because I think when you, you know, there's a natural human tendency, particularly with ops people, but to think everything is wrong or bad, or there's an even worse word I'll use when I'll hold off for the podcast. It's like, <laughs> and that's often there's truth, but that's not the whole picture. Because they're you know, figuring out what the points of light are, what the opportunities are, and what the things that are truly on fire and need to be fixed are. And then throwing the limited resources at those things that need to be fixed. So if you, you know, you come in and you realize that you have a broken CRM system and, and everyone's data is bad in some ways, but like there is a complete duplication of every opportunity and lead and da 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 da. Man, you gotta fix that, you know, you start to rank things up. Oh, you gotta yeah. fix that stuff yeah. like quickly and jump on yeah. the things that are from a foundational data standpoint that are preventing a basic understanding of the business, you need to solve it right away. Or yeah. if there is a massive imbalance in some form of compensation, like you can't come in and be like, okay, everyone's gonna stop what we're doing and pay everyone new, but like building in a, hey, let's put a, put a, put a pin in this topic that we're on a, I'm making this up, on a perpetual perpetuity-based compensation plan where you sell something once and you get paid on it for the next five to 10 years. There's a time and a place for that, but I'm just using that as an example of a somewhat extreme example of comp. You know, you may want to think about kind of recentering, come around the next comp plan and starting to kind of baby step your way into getting people's mindset to change and stuff like that to change and to move over. But, you know, those ten things tend to be super helpful when you're coming in and you're being able to do fresh eyes, take in data, understand context and quickly yeah. stack rank what's working, what's yeah. not. As someone who, I mean, we, we've built out, you know, our marketing and sales team. They're not, they're not big, but they're small teams, but they're really, our team is really good and really effective, but I love the aspect of hiring a consultant that's coming in with a diagnostic. I think that's so powerful. I think you and I caught up like three or four months ago. And I love that idea because it's, it's a quick win for the, who the executive team that hired you or the investors who hired you in this case, because half the battle is just knowing what's going wrong. Cause you know, then, then the assumption is you can hire someone or em employ you to actually fix it. Yeah. But like that's, that's the security blanket that people want, especially when they're doing an investment where they know probably they're coming in for a reason. The company needs capital for a reason and, and capital is good at hiring people and systems to, to fix things. So just giving them kind of the lay of the land on what's good and what's not good is I'm sure it makes them feel a lot more secure in the investment they're making. Yeah. And I, and that's, thank you for that. Very kind of you. And, and I try to get very specific and like, again, three to five things like, okay, here's the grading. Here's like the, the laundry list, but like three to five things that they really need focus and attention. And if I can help people with it, fix, fix them, I will. And if I can't, I'll refer them to people who can. And then it's obviously their decision on what they want to do about it or not. But I try to be as action oriented as possible and not just be like, here's everything that's good. Here's everything that's not good. Best of yeah, you. That doesn't, that doesn't work very well. Yeah. I love it. John, this is like, I, I think we're pretty similar in that. Like I love the operations side. Like I did finance and, and investing like you did, but I've never been happier in my career because I love problem solving and, and figuring the stuff out and learning new stuff like this. So like, I think we're wired the same way. So I love just talking. This is really fun to talk about this stuff Thank with you. you. 
no, it's been fun. I, I've, I've enjoyed it and uh, it's been a long time coming. So thanks. Awesome. Well, tell, can you tell the audience where they can find you? And if you're working on a VC fund or private equity fund, or you're just a new executive in a, you know, probably, you're probably like mid-stage companies, I'd say to late stage to even, yeah, I, my, uh, you know, how do they find you and how do they engage with you? Uh, so you can email me. My email is john at houstonadvisorsllc.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, John C. Houston. Again, to your point earlier, I tend to work with um, a fairly small number of funds, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't take anything else on. Um, and that tends to feed my funnel fairly well. Um, but, you know, I think I just, what I'd ask is just the takeaway for people is it's a good, you know, having someone like me is a good name to have in the proverbial Rolodex. There's a time and a place for what I do. You know, um, if you're, you know, a B2B company with five plus million in sales, and you're probably starting to think about these things already. And that doesn't mean you necessarily need to engage with me, but if there's a need for a conversation, you know, initial conversation, I'm perfectly happy to do it. My sweet spot, meaning like most of my clients tend to be at the, let's call it the 25 to 50 million ish, give or take, you know, kind of revenue level, just because that's where you, the rubber starts to hit the road from a scaling standpoint. Yeah. Well, congrats on everything yeah. you built. I'm, I'm envious of Thank your you, practice and, uh, and congrats, man. Thank you. Uh, fun doing this. Have a great weekend and, and give my best to Vanessa. All right, buddy. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise. Founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Scotty.